the challenge for any CEO founder is you know, how to anticipate the plateauing before you plateau. And those are all the things, you know, you got to just be looking at, you know, the 20 different things that could go wrong or, or the things that you're going to, your company's going to struggle with. Welcome to Build, the podcast from OpenView. I'm your host, Blake Bartlett, and the show features conversations with software founders, leaders, and investors. Each episode unpacks a new key insight on how to build your company and navigate the fast-changing world of software startups. Today, I sit down with Peter McKay, who's the CEO of Sneak, one of the absolute hottest security companies around today. Sneak has raised well over a billion dollars in funding and was most recently valued by investors at eight and a half billion dollars. And what I love most about Sneak is that they've brought PLG to the world of security. And that's big because the inherited wisdom today says that security products can only be sold via enterprise sales efforts directed at the CISO. Sneak is showing us all that PLG has just as much potential in security as we see in other software end markets. Now, with all of that being said, I have to confess that we don't really talk about PLG or security at all in this conversation today. Instead, we're back to one of my favorite topics on the Build podcast, leadership. We've had really great conversations with folks like Godard Abel from G2 about conscious leadership and Prashant Chandrasekhar from Stack Overflow about leading in a non-extreme way. Folks seem to be really loving these conversations, so I'm pumped for you to hear Peter's perspective on how to lead a company through hypergrowth. Hypergrowth looks really fun from the outside when you're just seeing the TechCrunch headlines and the big funding announcements, but on the inside, it's hard, really hard like winning a gold medal in the Olympics hard. And the main reason for that is that you're constantly making hard decisions and having hard conversations. Nothing about that is fun, but it's absolutely necessary to scale and to win. Luckily for us, Peter is the perfect leader to learn from on this tough topic. So it's high time for me to step out of the way so that we can dive right in with Peter McKay on today's episode of Build. So we're talking about hypergrowth today, which is a popular topic perennially for startups, uh, because that's the goal of being in a startup is to experience hypergrowth. But as many people talk about, it's also difficult. There are many challenges that come along with sustaining hypergrowth, uh, growing through hypergrowth, uh, your org, your team, et cetera. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to unpack today. And so I, I'm curious from your perspective, what makes hypergrowth hard for a startup leader and a team in your experience? Yeah, there's just so many dimensions to it. You know, when you you're thinking about scaling, it's it's really to do it effectively, you have to get all the different components going kind of consistently. You know, you can't have, you know, one particular part of the company is lagging behind the other and and so, you know, you're looking at the orgs, you're looking at your team, you know, you're spending a lot of time, you know, understanding the the strengths and weaknesses of the team, and you know where they can scale. Who's got more capacity? Who's running out of capacity? You you also look at where a lot of companies kind of struggle with is this interdepartment. Like when the part when groups start needing uh, more collaboration together because you know the the businesses just get more complex. And and as much as you try to minimize that complexity and you know, try to keep things as simple as you can, invariably, they become more complicated. You know, you get into different geos, you get into adding multiple products, you're, you know, you're getting into, 
you know, financial services are federal that requires security check. All these things just add to this massive complexity, small companies, medium, large. So, you know, you really need to work well together as a team and, and, and making sure that they're all kind of moving at the same, at the same time. And, and so that generates a lot of, for a CEO, it's something you've just, you know, your number one job is just watching and kind of seeing where, where are the problems, where are the, where we're going to you know, run into challenges six to nine to 12 months ahead at least and trying to stay ahead of that. And, and a lot of times it comes down to people, right? I mean, unfortunately, as you're growing and the faster you're growing, the faster you're going to outstretch a lot of the people and teams that you have. And so it's your job to kind of assess when you, you, you see people struggling and, and there's you know, tons of signs of all that happening. But you know, and then you're having these conversations with people along the way. But as you grow, you know, the most frustrating part, I think, for some founders and CEOs are just, you know, what got you to this point is not going to get you to the next and the next. And that's why you see these companies grow and then plateau and then they change up and they make all these changes and then they kind of grow again. And in the, the challenge for any CEO founder is you know, how to anticipate the plateauing before you plateau. And those are all the things, you know, you got to just be looking at, you know, the 20 different things that could go wrong or, or the things that you're going to, your company's going to struggle with and uh, got to try to get ahead of it as much as you possibly can. Yeah, this, this plateaus piece is, is interesting because it's very easy when you read a TechCrunch article or an Inc. Magazine article or you hear about a company that just had a massive IPO. It sort of sounds like it was always up and to the right. You look at the annualized numbers like, wow, that's some pretty great growth. And they, they did it every year for, for a handful of years. But that's always obviously a myth. Yeah. <laughs> Internally, um, it is never up and to the right. It's never like, like you were saying, the strategies that sort of work for you in the very early days aren't what's going to work for you when you're 100 million of ARR and beyond. Yeah. And so anticipating this, this idea of plateaus is that you know maybe you're kind of sprinting from 1 to 10 million of ARR. And then you hit 10 million, things stop working. And if you don't anticipate that, that's a plateau um, yeah. and you got to work through it. So, so sort of understanding that there are these different, you know, breakpoints, if you will, and anticipating that that's where plateaus can happen. That is key. And I, I see it from, from as a board member and as an investor, I see it all the time. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, and usually what makes that hard is the time to make those changes are when things are going the best, you know, when the numbers are the best, the metrics are the best, Right. And when they're when you're at your best, that's when you should think about okay, how do I evolve? How do I think differently? How do I look at it and and adapt, right? And because sometimes when the, all the metrics are all solid, you know, part of that is historic, number one, and two, they may be leading you down the wrong path because you're just okay. I don't want to screw it up because it's going well, so I'm just gonna kind of let things go until they're not. And that's sometimes you know too far past that, that time. And, and so it's, it's just having that read on, you know, what do you do? Constantly questioning and asking the teams, you know, the questions about is the market evolving? Is it changing? What are we hearing? What are the objections? Why are we winning? Why are we losing? What are the problems that we're facing? What, a, what could go wrong? You know, all the things like, you know, it's the, the team internally at, at Sneak telling, you know, I'm always the paranoid one. I'm always the one, you know, I always say, you know, Andy Grove used this line, only the par paranoid survive, right? And so 
I'm always looking for what could go wrong. And, and that's a big part of the CEO job to, to be well out in front, looking for all the things that we may be missing. And that's where the other thing I would say is, you know, it, it does, that's not the sole responsibility of the CEO or the management team. That's your board of directors. That's your advisors. You know, the, the worst thing that could ever happen is you miss something because your head was down and you were, you were into the weeds and you didn't see something very obvious in right in front of you that you didn't do. And I am incredibly paranoid that that's something that's going to happen. So I'm always asking people, what am I missing? You know, here's what's going on. Tell me what I should be doing. So I've been doing this for 30 years and I'm still asking those questions all the time because it's just some of the easiest and obvious things that are right in front of you that you don't see. And that's that. And, and you don't see because you're enamored with the results and you think everything is going to go good forever. And that's, that doesn't happen. It, th then you have to react. And so trying to, the hardest thing to do is when it's all going well is to change. Because why am I changing? Well, I'm changing because I'm worried that it's not going to keep going. So we have to, you know, do things differently. We have to try different things. And, and that's really hard for companies to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first takeaway that I have there is uh, we, we might want to uh, consider a, a change of title from CEO to CPO for a chief paranoia officer, <laughs> because that sounds like it's part and parcel to the job. Well, but, that uh, was the case. I think I'd, get a, I think I'd be a, one of the better ones then, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, number one in the industry. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the image that was coming to mind uh, to me, it's, you know, kind of thinking of a uh, sports analogy, you know, one team does a really great play or scores a, a basket, whatever it is. They're, they're busy celebrating and then the other team is sort of moves faster and then you're like, oh no, what's going on? And, and you can get caught by surprise. And so like when things are going really well, if you're too busy celebrating, if you're too busy high-fiving or patting yourself on the back, that's exactly the moment at which things can change and, and you're not paying attention. So getting into this a little bit, and, and I think one piece of, of feedback that you said that was really interesting is that the time to be thinking about these changes, the time to be anticipating plateaus is when things are going really well, uh, which is counterintuitive. Yeah. And so- Maybe unpacking that a little bit, what it sounds like to me is that if you're if you're needing to do this when things are going well, then then relying solely on metrics or on KPIs might not be enough of an early yeah. warning sign. So what, what do you look at? Like, how do you get this sense if it's not necessarily the KPIs? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot of these early indicators that kind of tip you off that there's smoke, you know, there's issues that you should start paying attention. There's a little bit of a fire going you know, you look at, you know, group frustrations like, uh, you know, you know, sales and marketing, uh, marketing and product teams. And, you know, you start to see these signs of frustration and, you know, the wheels start wobbling because people are frustrated. Decisions aren't being made the way they fast enough or, you know, we're, you know, this conflict that isn't being resolved is this artificial harmony that people are, well, they're really not talking about the tough problems or, you know, a manager struggling to hire really good talent, you know, because, you know, they're they're overwhelmed in what they're doing. And I don't have time to hire because I got too many things going. And, you know, these are all it's not usually one thing. It's usually like three, four five things that kind of, you know, I'm worried about this part of my business. And then as the CEO, you just start you know digging in and observing and asking questions and and, you know, you get an instinct and then you start, then you got to, okay, have these conversations with, if let's say it's a, a particular individual, 
and say, look at, I'm, I'm worried about this. Like, I'm, I'm worried that we're not going to be able to make it to the next level here. You know, let's talk about it. And then we go and go and go. And, you know, over time you come to, you mutually come to, hopefully, if you do it ahead of time, that, that at some point we should, we should think about, you know, you, you know, reducing your scope from this to this as companies get bigger, they all roles get smaller and then bring someone else in that does this really well. And that'll save you from trying to be too many things. And it's just this dialogue you have of, you know, anticipating a problem happening and getting in front of it and doing it in a way that people understand it. And if you do it proactively, then it's just, everybody is better. The, 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 anybody, a manager is, is better. The company's better. You know, everything is better when you do this proactively and rarely does anybody say, Hey, when it comes to people, you know, I did it too fast. You know, it's always the opposite. Holy cow. I should have made this move six, nine months ago is usually the case. So if you have an instinct as a CEO or leader, you know, you really got to dig in get the data points, validate it, and then go as quickly as you can. And it's the crappy part of the job. Like it's the worst, right? Because it's always, it's constant. It's never, okay, I just finished this and I don't have to worry about it forever. No, it's constant. It's a constant part of the job. So it looks like the way you're describing it is instead of looking at those metrics, you're looking at people and you're looking at the people dynamics and you're looking at the organizational dynamics. You're trying to identify where is their organizational friction? Where is there sort of, uh, you know, within a team or across teams, where is there friction? You know, where is one team perhaps acting as a bottleneck to another team? You know, all of those types of dynamics, it sounds like, uh, which is, that's viewed as the softer side, but um, that's right. actually the more important side, like being data driven, so to speak here, actually suggests is that, that you might be a little bit too late to the party. So is yeah. that the right way to kind of, to parse that out? It is, but it's not, the people may be the, uh, uh, the outcome. But usually it's the signs that give the, that that kind of point to that being the case. And you think about if there's, you know, a, a, the increase in support calls coming in or, you know, customer dissatisfaction, your NPS is dropping or le- your pipeline is dropping or, you know, there's these these early indicators of some of the problems that you deal with every day. You know, you mentioned it the first, it's kind of, you know, you see what it's like on the outside, but on the inside, you, you know, you see how the sausage is made. And there's so many of those, you know, early, very, very early indicators that point out to something, you know, sometimes I, people accuse me of too much in the, into the details sometimes, but I think that's what serves me well when it's, when you're looking at, you know, how to stay ahead of that growth. I mean, we're growing at 170% year over year. You know, it's hard to, for an individual to develop themselves fast enough. You're gonna be, you're gonna be 175% better every year. And, and that's hard, right? And so not everybody can do that or wanna do that. And so these conversations on a regular basis are are critical for the company to stay stay ahead. Don't don't slow down. And, and when you're growing at that pace, usually what happens is, is growth outstretches talent. And that's where you hit that plateau. If you don't stay ahead, then you're going to hit a plateau and then start, you know, the, the decline on the other side. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it is if, if your company is growing at a particular rate, 100% year over year, 200% year over year, then you know effectively each person at the company needs to be getting that much better yes. year over year as well. Otherwise, yes. you're not going to scale with the org. Yes. I had never thought about it that way, but that's a, that's an unlock for me. I like that. You know, From a company perspective, you've got to constantly do whatever you can possibly do to develop your talent because it's so much better to promote from within and bring people in and groom them. It gets much harder when that growth rate gets that high to be able to do that all the time, you know, some areas you can, in some areas, you, you know, just by, by scale, yes, you were doing this job and it was at half of what it is. Now it's double it. So if I bring you, if I reduce this scope to half, it's still because of scale so much more than you've ever done. So it's, you know, I think people need to look at when you're, when you're, you know, asked to do, you may be a lesser scope, it's, it gives you more ability to have that impact and to stay ahead. But as a company, it's we got to do whatever we can to develop our talent so we don't have to go outside as much and we can promote from within. And that's but it's but it takes two, right? We got to do everything we can as a company. But the, the individual, if you're not investing to do it, you know, then the outcome is going to be clear in a period of time. Yeah, yeah. So if we focus a little bit on the bringing in new people aspect yeah. of things, because obviously that is part and parcel to a, to any leader's role, but certainly CEO role. And that's what we've been talking about right now a lot. But this idea that you're constantly needing to be recruiting and bringing in really great folks. And I think that, you know, what I'm hearing from you is that some people can perceive that as I need to constantly, if I got a VP of sales now, I need to be thinking about who's my next VP of sales. And that might be the right answer. But it doesn't necessarily only need to be through that single lens of replacing somebody. Um, you talked about bringing in specialized talent. So maybe you yeah. have a, a VP of sales today, but you know we're going to bring in somebody to lead channel and partnerships. or We're going to bring in somebody to lead international. And so that's more so adding to as opposed to just looking at the single option yeah. at, uh, at your disposal of, of replacing, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, part of it is... You know, if you have someone in a, in a certain role that doesn't have a certain skill set, you can you can hire someone strong in that team to help that person scale. So it doesn't have to, you know, always re replace or up level a certain spot. It could be strengthening the team. And that that's one of those. That's one of the areas where you kind of see where the wheels start wobbling when when they don't when they can't recruit really good people on their teams. That's a sign. That okay, yeah. if 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 you can't get top talent in your team, then you're only gonna go so far because you're only as good as your team, right? Whether you're yeah. a frontline manager or a second line manager or a third line manager or the CEO, if you can't find amazing talent, then you're gonna struggle because you're only as good as your team. And so for me as the CEO, that's that's 20, 25% of my time is just constantly looking for talent at all levels, not just reporting to me at all levels, because and especially in this market where resources are getting harder and harder to find, is that's gotta be, you know, a top priority for the CEO is just looking for talent. Because you know, they're very specific skill sets today as you get bigger and people have gone through hyper growth and you know, a billion dollars in revenue, you know, this, you got to be always, always be looking for talent. And that's, yeah, that's the, that's the driver. And it doesn't matter if you're the CEO or, or your frontline, you know, sales manager, you're only as good as your team. And if you can't hire top talent, that's usually an indication of you're not scaling. 
So if you're constantly bringing in new talent at every layer or of leadership uh, within an org, whether that's up-leveling somebody, whether that's replacing somebody, whether that's adding sort of uh, another you know, person, you're kind of dividing a role into two as the, the org scales, or even, as you mentioned, hiring people below as an enabling role in order for that person to be sort of unlocked or unblocked. Yep. So if, the, if you're constantly going through that motion, then you obviously have the factor of my current team and you're needing to communicate that with your current team. And you, and you had alluded to it earlier in our conversation about these hard conversations, these difficult conversations with your team, but that is that communication is incredibly important because yeah. otherwise it will cause problems down the road. So how do you approach, I, I guess, maybe unpacking these this hard conversation piece, what makes them so difficult beyond the obvious, delivering you know, perhaps bad news uh, or sort of mixed news? And then how do you approach these hard conversations uh, in order to get to where you want to go? Yeah. Well, that is the challenging part of the job, right? It's the, you know, it's a skill that you, you kind of learn over the years. And, and usually it's kind of like two things. If you, if you have the conversation late, it's probably not a surprise because the metrics are telling you that the data is there. But if you're doing it ahead of time and you're proactive in doing it and you're having conversations ahead of time, it is a surprise right? Because it's like, well, all the metrics are there. I'm doing this, this, this. I know, but here's what I'm seeing. And let's just watch it. Let's just watch this. I'm, I'm worried if we continue down this path, you know, we're probably going to need to, you know, reduce the scope or do this or this. I said, well, let's just, I just want to be, you know, all the cards on the table. So nobody's ever surprised. And, and that's a little bit of a shock to someone who's like, why I'm, I'm doing the, all the metrics say I'm doing what? Well, this is if you do if you in in a lot of cases you try to do all this beforehand where the metrics aren't it doesn't show up yet and so it's just being you know honest you know we have this thing we have a one of our core values at sneak is care deeply and one of the parts of care deeply is everybody you know generally cares about each other and and they do i mean it's the core part of our our values at at sneak but you know when i first got here is a little bit like well but people weren't giving feedback to each other. Like people were afraid because they didn't want to hurt people's feelings. And, and so I'm like, well, that's not caring deeply. Caring deeply is if you really care about someone, you'll give them feedback, you'll coach them, you'll tell them. And, you, and, you, and people just couldn't, it's this transition. If you really care about someone, you will give them feedback. You'll talk to them about what's working and what's not. You'll be very transparent and you build this loyalty and you build this trust that nobody should be surprised at these conversations because you've been doing it over a period of time. And so that's what you try to do. It doesn't always happen that way, but it's, you know, it's the, the toughest part. And I see kind of, I'm on boards and, and, you know, advise founders who've kind of built a company. It's, it's harder. It's hard, right? Because all these people who have been on this journey and scaling and, and they, they've been on this together. And, and then at some point, you, you have to now start having some tougher conversations with people who, are, who maybe need a more, much more narrower scope or, or, or a, different, a different role. And, and that's hard to do that. Definitely hard to do it proactively. It's hard, it's, it's hard to do it reactively. And so, you know, that's, you know, if I can just encourage people to, you know, the more difficult the conversation, you do it, do it ahead of time, have those conversations. And if you really care about them, you will, you'll, you'll tell them what you feel. And that'll, that's only going to help them and, and help the company as well. That's the job of the CEO. That's why they say it's, you know, it's a lonely spot. It's a, 
you know, it's tough because, you know, you're there making tough decisions for the best that are the best interest of the company is, you know, a year, two, three years down the road. And that's not, that's it's definitely a lot of times not the most popular decision. And, you know, sometimes people, you know, don't understand all the dynamics because you don't explain, you don't, you can't necessarily explain all the rationale for why something is done because it's just, you know, it's between an individual. And, and so, you know, I think that's where the, you know, I think one of the core tenets of any, any leader or any, any person in a company is just trust. You know, they have to trust the people they're working with, both me trusting them, them trusting me, and that, that you know that you're not doing it for any other reason than to help strengthen the company, right? And yeah. it's not for political or not a popularity contest. It's just to do what's right for the business long-term. And, and that helps everybody, right? And so, yeah. and I think sometimes people think, well, why are, you, why are you picking on me? Or why it's, you're not, you're doing for what you think is the right moves to make for the business. And those are the tough decisions you got to make. So if I take a step back and, and put my uh, my philosopher's hat on a little bit here, <laughs> I've been very personally uh, focused on this idea of, you know, you can't avoid pain uh, in, in life and business and anything. You can't avoid difficulty. Yeah. But there is a choice of do you voluntarily embrace pain of your own chosen flavor or do you sort of wait <laughs> and have the, the unchosen, unvoluntary pain catch up with you later? And I think that there can be this, um, there is this, this myth, and I think we all fall prey to it, is that if I don't embrace the voluntary pain and just pretend like it's not there and do the ostrich strategy and put my head in the ground, it will go away and it will get better. And it doesn't. You're just no. forestalling and delaying the pain. Yes. And you can choose to have a hard conversation before it's difficult, before things are breaking. Uh, and it's a little bit of a surprise, but you're doing it in a caring deeply manner. You're doing it in a proactive manner. You're choosing the pain yeah. of a difficult conversation well ahead of the curve, or you could wait and wait for everything to be falling apart. And it's like, this person's got to go tomorrow. Yeah. And I've never told or telegraphed that at all. And now I'm having that conversation. Yeah. That's very, very painful. And not a great experience for either person. And so which no. flavor of pain do you want? And then against the, the organizational backdrop, what has happened to that team? What has happened to the numbers? What has happened to the performance in that yeah. interim while you were playing ostrich? Yes. Yeah. I, it's a great, great observation. And it's totally true. I mean, it, you know, we have this, you know, we use this phrase kind of ripping the bandaid off, like taking, you know, anything you think is a, is, is a, is a tough experience, a tough decision, a tough, restructuring, just do it as quickly as you can, get it behind you. You know, I, I, when people come to me with org things and changes and I'm thinking of doing this in six months, I'm doing it. Why are you doing it in six months? Well, by then I'll be there. I said, why wouldn't you just do it now? You know, get it out of the way, get it clear behind you. And it's just, I think it's, you know, people, uh, I just think react better to, to it as you're being, to being more, you know, more proactive and, and thinking about things and getting the bad stuff behind to get to a better place. And instead of it dragging these things out and making more pain and, you know, the symptoms of all that throughout the organization, rip the Band-Aid off, move, move forward, make the moves and just get to a better place as quickly as you can. That could be people or systems or process or whatever it is. You know, you just you rarely does it benefit you by delaying and dragging it out. So in closing here, Peter, if we have founders listening right now, and I'm sure there are plenty who are thinking, 
uh-oh, <laughs> that sounds like something that's very difficult. And also that's something that I might not be wired towards. I don't know if, I, if I'm cut out for that. I don't know if I want to do that, but it sounds like it's pretty necessary for my business. What kind of advice do you have for somebody that's feeling that right now? Yeah. And I, I don't think that's, you know, solely the founder's challenge. I think most people don't like doing it. Like that's just, if anybody says they like doing it, then they're not human. You know, so just that aside, um, you know, <laughs> so I do think that a big part of a founder's job or founder CEO's job is to make, have these difficult conversations and to, to see things ahead of time and make these proactive moves. And that's not for everybody. And at some point, if you don't do them, it'll catch up to you. And so, you know, I've been now CEO of, you know, three, you know, four companies, but three of them were founders were there before, including Sneak. The founder has been a friend of mine for, you know, 18, 18 years. And he asked me to come in and, and do it. And we've had a lot of conversations beforehand. And he said, look at, you know, I'm at, the company's at a point where, you know, we've got to make, we've got to do some different things and things that I'm not really, I don't like to do and I'm not great at, but I really like to do this stuff. And so he kind of, he came to me and asked for, asked for my help along the way and then asked, said, Hey, can you come in and run? And we had that conversation because he recognized that there, he had strength and amazing strength. He also knew me and knew what I was that that I complimented him really well. And and I and that's kind of would be my message to you know founders that you're going to have things that you're really good at and things that you really like to do, and you're really going to look at okay, is that can that keep the company going or am I going to need someone? who can do the things that the company needs and, and I don't want to do and then and do it proactively. That's that's challenge. Like some people will say, no, I got to be the CEO. and I'm going to go hire a COO. That's kind of like I would never like a good CEO would never go to be a COO because it's just the the the, the moves and the things that you need to do. You got to kind of be free to do all the things that you need to do and have these tough conversations and do it without the distraction of someone coming in and telling you, well, you can't do that. Well, you know, that's the challenge. So, so for a CEO, I would say for a founder coming in, just understand what you're good at and what you're not understand how far you could go in the company and just be proactive. If that's not for you, if you're tending to do more of the things you don't like, versus the things you do like, that's probably a good indication where you need to start thinking of making a move proactively yourself versus waiting for it to, to happen to you. So you can't opt out, but you can phone a friend. So that's a really helpful, uh, really helpful <laughs> advice. You can <laughs> and, opt uh, out, a great place. phone a friend. That's it. That's a good, that's yeah, a good way to Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, um, well, I think that's a really great place to, to leave it. So thanks so much, Peter, for joining us here on the Build Podcast. It's been a, a great conversation and I'm sure uh, very impactful for our audience. It's great talking to you, Blake. Thank you. Thanks for checking out Build. If you enjoyed the conversation today, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so that others can find the show as well.